This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Ready or Not is brought to you by the 10th Co. Creators of science-backed supplements for mothers by a mother. It's summertime and I'm walking around the, around the office in a giant scarf, sweating bullets. I guess going into birth, I was really quite cocky. It wasn't the maternity leave I was hoping for. Where's my gold star? Where's my praise? And then I had a miscarriage again. I think as women, we are very much used to putting on a smile, maintaining a certain composure, almost sucking it up and then deal with it later rediscovering I'm still me. Christina Mackay has been cutting her teeth in the beauty industry for over 20 years, working at some of the biggest brands both in Australia and the UK. Outside of her corporate nine to five, she's also a hypnobirth educator and a makeup artist. Add two kids to the mix and you can see she has a lot on her plate. From an effortless first pregnancy to recurrent miscarriage, from a traumatic first birth to an empowering second birth, from losing to rediscovering herself in motherhood. Christina's parenting journey has been anything but linear, and here she shares it all. She's relatable, she's funny, and she is so generous in conversation. I'm Lucinda, this is ready or not, and here is the reflective and refreshing Christina Mackay. When I left school, I really wanted to study psychology, but the thought of having to go straight into five to seven years of study was really just not appealing to me. I didn't really feel like I had the brain power to commit to that. So I ended up deferring from psych and actually studying beauty therapy instead because I thought I'll just do a trade, just hopefully something that I can, you know, be flexible with and do wherever I want around the world at different parts of my life. So I went into beauty therapy and I just absolutely loved it. It was really interesting and it was a really, really fun course. And then I really wanted to support the beauty therapy side. So I worked in a day spa and then ultimately I ended up getting a job at Mecca and kind of starting off as a skin specialist there, which I really loved. I was with them for four years and obviously worked my way up the ranks. And then after that four years, I decided that I wanted to do some travel and I moved to London. I've been in the beauty industry for over 20 years now, so it's pretty much been majority of my career. And in London, I worked at Space NK and I worked for Nude Skincare, which was acquired by LVMH. So that was quite interesting, being part of that acquisition. And then after that, I ended up coming back to Oz, um, going back to Mecca for another four years. Did a short stint at a small uh, candle company. And then I ended up going to L'Oreal and then leaving there and then I ended up at Natio, which I've been there for over six years now, still within that same industry, which I love. With all of this going on professionally, when do talks of starting a family come into the picture for you and how does it make you feel from that career and stress point of view that so many of us feel? 
Yeah, so I guess it wasn't something that I ever really thought. I mean, at the back of my mind, I knew that I wanted to have kids, but I wasn't that kind of maternal person that was like, I need to have children at a really young age. I saw my niece and nephew being born when I was 14. My sister was 20, (laughs) which is great contraception. So that gave me (laughs) uh, contraception for the next 20 years. All the mums listening out there, if you want to avoid teenage pregnancy, maybe get them to witness a childbirth. Um, But no, that was amazing to to be part of their births, but also... It was enlightening. I really got to see my sister and, you know, she is that maternal person, but I got to see how that really changed her life. And ultimately I had other plans on my books and I wanted to do more travel and, you know, really discover myself as a person more so. So it was really only after I got married that I was like, all right, now's the time, you know, I'm 36. We're all aware that the biological clock is ticking because society tells us so. But um, yeah, that's when I started to really... Um, I guess, phone into wanting to get pregnant. And we were lucky that it didn't take us longer than a couple of months. So it was quite a quick process. Oh, wow. Um, was even that a little bit yeah. quicker than you thought it would be, given that, as you say, society would have told you that you were at the later end of trying to conceive? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd been on the pill for 21 years without a break. So really, like, I did not know how my body was going to react, whether my period was going to come back straight away or whether it was going to take a long time whether I could even get pregnant. And then you spend your whole teens and early 20s trying hard not to get pregnant. And then I was like, have I completely missed the boat? Can I even get pregnant? Because I've never had a scare. So yeah, it was an interesting time. And even though we were trying, I was absolutely shocked when it happened. I just could not, yeah, I couldn't believe it, which sounds silly because you're actually trying, but then that actually the reality of it really was No, I can understand that. After 35, it's sort of like they put the fear of God in you. So I can totally (laughs) imagine that. So Violet came into the world some three and a half years ago. How did that pregnancy go before we get to new motherhood? Yeah, pregnancy was good. First trimester was horrendous. As you know, you probably know, it can be quite challenging for some. It was me like having to stop on the way home from work and have a quick nap. I live in the Yarra Valley, so it's an hour drive. So some days I'd have to stop once or twice on the drive just to have a power nap because I was worried about crashing the car otherwise. Um, Yeah, and literally like coming in the door, taking off my handbag and literally just falling onto the couch and falling asleep, waking up my husband, giving me dinner and then going straight back to bed. I was very lucky I didn't really have nausea. So that was good, but just that extreme tiredness. And I'm one of those people that shows really early. So at six weeks, I had to buy new pants on the way to work because my pants no longer did up. So (laughs) yeah, it was uh, very hard to hide. And I actually had to tell them quite early um, at the kind of eight week mark because I was like, I just can't, I just can't hide this. And if anyone sees me wearing these maternity pants, these branded maternity pants, um, there's kind of no hiding it. And how did it go telling them? I was nervous to tell them because, you know, it is such a big deal and you don't really know how it's going to play out. But at the same time, I was like, I, I can't hide it. It's summertime and I'm walking around this around the office in a giant scarf, sweating bullets and everyone's telling me to take the scarf off. It's boiling in the office. And I was there, no, no, I'm okay. I'm, I'm fine. Not, I'm, I'm fine. Sweat. Yeah, this is this isn't sweat. <laughs> yeah, I'm just feeling a, feeling a little bit nauseous. So, um, yeah, it was it was an interesting time. And, yeah, obviously everyone at work was like, we knew you were pregnant. I'm like, well, I look it. So, 
Oh, eight weeks. Incredible. Yeah. So Violet then comes into the world. What was early motherhood like for you? Well, I had all the intentions of, you know, that maternity leave that I was so excited about. I had friends that were going to be on maternity leave. I was like, this is going to be great. I've always been a bit of a workaholic, so I was really looking forward to that break. And at six weeks, when you get the go-ahead to go out into the world and start, you know, resuming somewhat of a new normal, uh, COVID hit. So that was... Of course. Yeah. So she that was, was January not- of 2020. Yeah, she was. And yes. COVID, like the restrictions started in March, end of March. So that was just really, it was really full on. I also had birth trauma with Violet, which I never knew about a traumatic birth. I guess going into birth, I was really quite cocky and then a bit naive. I'd seen my sister giving birth and I loved watching birth videos. And I was like, I've got this. I've watched one born every minute. I listen to podcasts. Like I know what I'm doing. And um, the reality of, I think, you know, when you have that intention to go with the flow, you're handing over your power to somebody else. You don't know how your body is going to react. You don't, I wasn't really well equipped with any kind of tools. Um, And when the time came to it, I just didn't know how to handle the sensations. And I completely panicked. And I had a couple of really not great interactions with a midwife and I guess knowing what I know now, I really didn't advocate for myself. I wasn't educated. I wasn't informed. We'd done the hospital birthing course, which I loved, but it just wasn't enough. Just knowing about the risks and it's it's just not enough. So, yeah, that was not a good time. Um, and, yeah, I guess I kind of suffered with PTSD and some birth trauma and postpartum anxiety as well and real challenges around breastfeeding. So that was kind of really in the thick of it from two weeks to kind of six months it was not great and then obviously seeking help at that time was a real challenge because there was a lot of pressure on services as well especially in Melbourne yeah there just wasn't availabilities you know it was like a three-month wait list to see a psychologist and yeah it wasn't it wasn't a fun time it wasn't the um maternity leave I was hoping for what does that sense of isolation feel like because I didn't experience any restrictions with my son who came into the world a year and a half ago. Mm. And I think even in a perfect birth and a perfect postpartum, that would still feel really isolating. But if you were trying to work through things, but you also couldn't really get a village around you, I can't imagine how isolating that is. Yeah, it was a challenge. Like, luckily, we'd managed to have two meetups with our mother's group. So that had kicked off at five weeks for me. So I'd caught up with them twice. And that was great because then from that, we joined this house party that was a hot <laughs> platform for Oh, my God, minutes. that app. Um, <laughs> yeah, house party. And um going to be a real sign of the times in the future. And, yeah. um, you know, we did Zooms and WhatsApp calls and we kind of tried to keep in contact like that, which was good. It's not quite the same, but it was good having babies at the same age. But probably seeing family was the hardest or not seeing them because they're a good hour, hour and a half away. And for in Melbourne, like where we were, we had that ring of steel around us. So there was literally like if you had to go through that, you had to show a receipt of you know, that you had to go to the pharmacy to get milk for your baby or something like that. So it was quite stressful. You had to show your ID and you had to, they wrote down all of your details and you really weren't supposed to leave. 
Um, and our street's six kilometres long. And when we had that 5K radius, I'm like, technically, I'm not even supposed to go to the supermarket. So that was a real challenge because my dad had terminal cancer at the time as well. And it was like, uh, I don't want to be the one to have COVID to pass that on to him. So it was just, we couldn't risk it. We couldn't risk it at all. It was very isolating, which was a real challenge. It was a very confusing time to navigate. <sighs> Yeah, with postpartum anxiety, but then also kind of layering on um, the pandemic and the, the isolation as well. Yeah, such a I'm big very happy thing. to put that behind me. <laughs> yes, it's such a big yeah. thing to go through postpartum anyway. Like I think that mm. expression of it cracking you wide open is so true. And then to go through that with your dad, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. So that must have been a huge time. How did you go about healing from that birth trauma? So you say up until six months it was a challenge. Is that when things started to get a bit better for you? I would say so. I found breastfeeding, oh, my God, so incredibly challenging and so stressful. And I think as someone who's always worked hard and really found themselves through work or their identity through work, it was a really massive shift for me it's such an interesting challenge for the ego isn't it it's like I'm putting in the work but I'm not getting out the work a hundred percent you're like where's my gold star where's my praise like where is my thank you you know and it's a really hard slog and Violet was a really small baby so she was on a two-hour feeding schedule and so it would take me an hour to breastfeed her then I would pump for 30 minutes then I would give her a top-up feed for like 15 and then that leave 15 minutes for me to close my eyes before I started that process again. So in hindsight now, I think like motherhood, I don't know about you, but I just think second time round, you just trust yourself. You trust your body. You trust your baby. They will tell you when they're hungry. Like you don't need to stick to that absolute finite schedule if it's going to mess with your mental health and really beat you up. So that for me has just been so much more enjoyable second time round because yeah, first time was just an absolute dumpster fire. You want to do the right thing and the right thing doesn't necessarily correlate to what's in the books or what people are telling you to. Yeah, and I mean, all the onus Mm. is on you to make your baby gain weight. That's literally, when you leave the hospital, that is basically it. It's like keep them alive and keep them gaining weight. So if those things aren't going smoothly... It's pretty hard. It's stressful. I got to the point where I was getting blood noses at the thought of breastfeeding because it was just giving me so much anxiety. And it's so weird because now I would just tell myself, like, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. They're gonna be they're gonna be completely fine. Like you're topping up with formula anyway. So yeah. Hindsight but anyway, is a beautiful hindsight, thing. Hindsight. You'll live and learn. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so now you work in hypnobirthing on the side. Did that come out of this experience with Violet? When I wanted to get pregnant again, I had a lot of anxiety around the postnatal depression and anxiety and also um, just what birth looked like. So I just really wanted to make sure I was really well equipped. And so I just kind of put out the feelers on my Instagram and I just said, who had a really great birth? What preparation did you do? And like five or six people came back and they all said hypnobirthing and I was like, I've heard about it, but it sounds a bit woo-woo. Like, I don't really know if it's for me and I am a bit woo-woo, but I thought it was different to what it actually is. And so I was like, do you know what? I'll look into it and I'll see. And um, I've always kind of been in the training and education background. So 
when I looked into it, I was like, no, these are really like practical tools. And it's very much about getting your partner involved, getting them across what birth looks like. So when you can't advocate, if you're in the throes of labor and you don't want to be talking and you don't want to be working out logistics when you're in the active phase of labor. Um, so if someone else can do that for you and support you and they've got a whole list of jobs that they can do so they're not standing there like a deer in headlights. Um, and then also just knowing how to relax your body. So just, I was so tense the first time and almost fighting against the yeah. the labor pains. And with Phoenix, you know, like with first time I was really begging for an epidural that never came. And second time I'd heat up an epidural and it didn't even cross my mind. Like I was just so zen and relaxed and just focusing on my breath and letting my body open up that it kind of just disappeared. And yeah, it just happened all very, very easily, which was incredible. So mm. yeah, just had a lot of practical tools that I was like, okay, this is actually what I need. I need to know how to relax. I need to know what tools I can use. I need to know what's available. I need to know what risks are associated with different things. And then I need to know how to listen to my body and walk out the noise. And um, yeah, and it was, it was amazing. It was incredible. So you're thinking about returning to work, your mother, and then you also decide to train in hypnobirthing. How does that all come together? That sounds very busy. <laughs> Yeah, so I thought while I was on mat leave would be a really good time to skill up because the whole time I was on mat leave, I was like, do I want to go back to work after three months? Do I want to go back to work after six months, nine months? And depending on the day, I had something completely different in mind. And I thought, no, I've got a year, I'll hold off. Um, so I'm going to upskill and I'm going to learn hypnobirthing because then when the time comes, if I can actually teach the course as a practitioner, I'm going to know the content really, really well for myself. So that's kind of um, what I did when I was on maternity leave. Um, and then I went back to work in the office, started at three days. I thought I'll start at three. Um, and then depending on how it all goes, then I will go to four if possible. So that's where I'm at now. So four days um, in the office. And then I do kind of like hypnobirthing and makeup artistry on the side as well. So, wow. yeah, it's a bit of a juggle, but yeah, somehow it works. Going on. <laughs> and so how did you find that return to work? Firstly, how did you feel in the lead up? Because a lot of people can feel quite anxious in the lead up, but then they actually really enjoy having that time away from their children, even though they love their children. Those things are yes. very separate and we feel bad for saying that, but those no, we don't can coexist. No, we don't. Exactly. Yeah. We shouldn't. So how did that go for you firstly in the lead up? And then how was it in actuality when it played out? Yeah, no, it was good. I've always had, because I've been there for a long time, I've had really good relationships with people at work and we've always caught up outside of work. So I just made sure that while I was on mat leave, I still remained in connection with people. We still had dinners and I still went to the Christmas party. So that was like a good introduction to see everyone before actually starting back in the office. So then when I did get into the office, it didn't feel strange. It didn't feel out of place. and It didn't feel like I'd been away for that long because I was familiar with everyone and knew what was going on in the business. So it was a really good kind of introduction back into the business. And I think you said that you were very early pregnant when you returned back to work. How did yeah, that go well, with you? Neil and I decided that we wanted to get pregnant again. And when I first returned to work, about a month after I returned to work, I actually fell pregnant. And shortly after six or seven weeks, I had a miscarriage when I was at work, which was really confusing. You know, it's like one of those times where 
your mind is somewhere else and you feel like your body's here. It's a bit of an out of body experience. It's like you can, it's like things are happening in slow motion when you can see someone's talking to you and you're responding, but you don't really know what you're saying. So I stayed at work because I thought maybe it's not a miscarriage. I know that sometimes you can get cramping or you can get early bleeding. We can get bleeding throughout pregnancy actually. And I did with Phoenix and he was fine, but I ended up having a miscarriage and that was really challenging. I think two years ago, maybe they brought in like a compassion leave, which I didn't actually know at the time. And I really didn't want to put it on the radar that I was trying to get pregnant. With my That's the other hard thing, isn't it? It's like you don't want to reintroduce that yeah. oh, I might be on mat leave again soon. It's like, hi, guys, I just got back and now I'm pregnant again. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, I'm just going to leave it and I'll see how I deal with it. And I dealt with it, but it was it was quite a full-on time and obviously really sad because it doesn't really matter where you are in pregnancy. It's like as soon as you know, that minute that you know, everything's planned out. It's like, I've got a wedding in six months. What am I going to wear? It's like, how old are your siblings? What's the age difference going to be? Is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? And the whole thing's mapped out. The minute Mm. you find out, it's like, you go ahead. There's that kind of whole period that's mapped out. When that doesn't come into fruition, it can be extremely challenging. Three months after that, I got pregnant again. So that was great news. And then I had a miscarriage again when I was at work, of, of course. And that time was probably harder because I was like, okay, I know what this is. I know what these sensations yeah. are. I know what's happening. Um, and again, for someone, really confusing. That doesn't, yeah. for someone that doesn't know that, we talk a lot about the emotions to do with miscarriage, but I mm. think a lot of people don't know the physicality of a miscarriage unless someone really yeah. close or they've been through it. When you say yeah. you're miscarrying at work, what's happening to you? I think as women, we are very much used to putting on a smile, maintaining a certain composure, almost sucking it up and then deal with it later. So it's kind of like just concentrate at the task at hand, Mm. put on a pad and deal with it later. Call your doctor, make an appointment and deal with it later. I don't want to say what it feels like for everyone because I don't want to scare anyone because obviously throughout pregnancy, there's all different aches and pains, which Mm. don't necessarily mean a miscarriage. But for me personally, it was like cramping and then it was bleeding and then that kind of like amped up. But I went to the doctor and then they were like, oh, your HCG levels are still going up. So maybe it's not. So there was like a kind of 10 day period of being like, am I? aren't I? And then they were like, you know, you can take some medicine to help it pass. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that if it's still viable. Like it was very confusing. So I'm like, I'm going to let nature take its course if that's what's going to happen. And luckily it did so without me actually having to go in for a DNC. So I know that's what some, some women have to do, which honestly kind of terrified me because I don't know, I think after childbirth as well, I was like, no one is going near my vagina if I can help it. I had an episiotomy without any pain relief. And so I was like, oh. no one's going near this thing for, for a very long time. Until, they have, <laughs> until I've dealt, until they have to. Until I've dealt with this. So um, I was lucky enough that I ended up just, um, yeah, passing the, the pregnancy naturally. Um, and that happened the second time as well. And then it happened a third time. So oh. by that third time, I was just like, are you joking? Like, what is going on here? There was kind of no rhyme or reason. And obviously there was a lot of scans, internals, blood tests, urine mm. tests, and they couldn't really find anything specific. After becoming a mother, I distinctly remember when that sense of exhaustion sunk in. I remember it catching me by surprise and I quickly realised that I'd been running on adrenaline for months and months after my son's birth. 
Postnatal depletion affects over 50% of mothers and the effects can last for up to 10 years after giving birth. What many new mothers like me don't know is that if they don't replete and recover from the early phase of motherhood, they will feel the effects for years to come, with even their menopause being impacted. That's why the work of the 10th Co, created by mother Frida Olgars in collaboration with Dr. Oscar Serilach, is so important. Just because extreme fatigue and all that comes with it is common in motherhood, it doesn't mean it's normal. And their top-rated product, Flow State, works to relieve fatigue, support energy production, calm the mind, and support healthy mood balance, hair, skin, and nails. Listeners of Ready or Not will receive $15 off their hero product, Flow State, using code FEELMOREADYTHANNOT at thetenthco.com. When does recurrent miscarriage become the phrase that they use? Is it by that point or is it more miscarriages? I think it's three times. I think it is three times. Yeah. So what's going through your head at this stage? Are you frustrated because you're like, what's going on here? Why is my body failing me? It's done it before. Like, what's the difference here? Is it the birth trauma? Is it psychologically like I'm not ready to carry? Is it secondary infertility? Is it I'm a little bit older? All of these things are going through your head, especially being, now they call it advanced maternal age, which is much nicer than a geriatric yeah, pregnancy, geriatric. which I got the first, which is the, the most first terrible time. phrase. <laughs> I mean, I've got the grey hair, but I don't have a walking <laughs> stick or the hunchback just yet. Don't worry, um, I probably have grey hair awful. too. It's just hidden because I'm blonde. <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky you. Um, no, so it's just like, yeah, it was it was really confusing. And then part of me is also like, you've got Violet, she's amazing, feel blessed. So it's kind of you very much in two minds about it. But um, yeah, it was so funny because when we were trying for Phoenix, I was like, do you know what? This has now become transactional and I'm not enjoying it anymore. Yeah. You know what it's like when you're so desperately trying to get pregnant and start, you're like, yeah. oh, this is going to be so fun. This is yeah. going to be so exciting. And then however many months later, you're like, all right, I'm ovulating, now's the time. And then after Ugh. that, you're like, all right, just get it done. We have a window, hurry up. You know, and it, it becomes, becomes terrible, doesn't it? It becomes terrible. Yeah. I can't speak for miscarriage and I can't speak for it taking longer than a year. It took us eight months the first time. But I remember even the idea of having sex towards the end made me sad because I was, because <laughs> you know, it's just not, yeah. it's not romance. It's like I'm forcing yeah. you to have sex with me at this exact time so that we can have a baby. <laughs> I oh, know. It's not fun. And it's not fun. It's, it's, not, it's not enjoyable. <laughs> and the worst thing was, well, not the worst thing, but because I'd gone down the path of looking into fertility specialists. So I was actually having ovulation tracking to make sure that we were actually having sex at the right time. And so I was getting these messages on my phone, which would be like, I'd be in a, in a meeting with everyone. It'd be like, bing. And then I'd see on my phone, it would come up and it'd be like, Christina. Tonight, you will have intercourse. Tonight's a great night to have intercourse. And I was like, oh, my God, turning my phone over. I'm like, if anyone saw this, they'd be like, who is it? Why is she getting these text messages? Is that her husband from some random number? Like, it was just, yeah, it was a strange time. Something that's set up through doctors or is this like? It's set up through the fertility clinic. Yeah, it's called ovulation tracking. And I did it through Jenea um, and it's a 
I did it through them, but it's not actually them. So it's a specific company that's set up just to track your ovulation. Mm, so you do a whole okay. heap of blood tests and then they actually map out when you are fertile. Do you know what the funny thing is? As soon as we made the transaction for Phoenix, I was like, do you know what? I'm not doing that again. That wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't fun. And I'm just going to take a weight off my shoulders and give myself like a four-month holiday of yes. just nothing, take the pressure off. And then funnily enough, that's actually the time when when the pregnancy yeah. stuck. And so we obviously had a lot of laughter just then talking about this period. Yeah. But as we say, it's not fun. It can be really really miserable. It can be really disheartening. Yeah. So how yeah. how were you emotionally during that time? You seem quite strong. And I, I, I don't like to use that word as though others are weak for finding it hard, but you seem maybe pragmatic's the word. I think time gives that yes. distance. Do you know what I mean? If you would have asked me last week, I had my period, so I'd probably be crying about it. This week I'm feeling okay. So I think it's just, and I think time kind of makes a really big difference. You kind of tend to detach yourself a little bit as you can tend to process things. So it was really challenging. And do you know what the weird thing was? When I actually got pregnant with Phoenix, I had a really, really bad back. I've since had a back operation for, for treating this bad back. But the way that I found out, and I was really anxious about the pregnancy, and I didn't know that I was pregnant. So I went to actually get an MRI and they'd put me into the machine and they were about to start the actual process. And then they stopped and then they pulled me out and they said, are you pregnant? And I was like, no, I'm not pregnant because I wasn't even inside the window. I was like, I've been tracking my fertility. I'm, we were not do, we're not doing it this month. I'm I'm not in the window. And they were like, Do you want to just take a pregnancy test? And I was like, No, I want to get the MRI because I've got this bad back and I need to get yeah. this. And sorted. like, don't make me take another bloody pregnancy don't. test. Yeah. I was like, No. And then they were like, They were insisting. And thank God because I would have blitzed into the sun with the MRI and the poor yeah. wheelchair. Um, so yeah, they were like, we'll do this tomorrow, wow. go home, take a pregnancy test. And the minute I peed on the stick, it was pregnant and I just could not believe it. I was, yeah, I could not believe it. So I was like, something else has intervened here because I obviously didn't know I was pregnant and I was like, I just have faith that this pregnancy is going to be fine. And it was. So I don't know. I felt like a lot of pressure had been taken off at that stage and I had my hypnobirthing as well. So I was like, all right, mm. I need to do more in terms of getting myself prepared. And I did see a psychologist, make sure I got a hospital transfer, accessed my notes from my birth as well, listened to a hell of a lot of podcasts, read books, met with different people who had birth trauma and really processed that as well. Did a birth debrief, which was great just to really process all those feelings. So I put in a lot of work and luckily it kind of all came together. So yeah, it was great. And with some hindsight, what advice mm. would you give to someone navigating loss and going through, I guess, a challenging conception journey while trying to make work work? Sometimes that can be obviously very challenging. Depends on the person that you are. For me, having work was really helpful because it kind of took my mind off things. And I was like, just focus on this, focus on the positive, find happiness in what you're doing. Um, obviously, you want to honor your feelings. You know, when I go home at night, I'd be really upset. And I'd make sure that I had space for that. And doing things like yoga or speaking to my friends about it. I didn't want to speak to everyone about it. Because when I'm in the thick of it, I like to keep it to myself and process it. And then once I've got to a certain stage, then I feel like I can share. But I did have a few close friends that I spoke to about it. 
Um, and I guess for other people, you know, it might be like taking that compassion leave or taking some extra annual leave on top of that and really sitting with those feelings and doing maybe a loss debrief. Um, mm-hmm. You can still have that kind of like grief counselling as well because you do need to process it. Those things don't go away by themselves. So whatever that looks like for you is is really important to work through. Mm, yeah. That's great yeah. advice. And so then Phoenix does enter the world nearly a year and a half ago now. Mm. What was that birth like? Was it the healing experience that you'd worked hard for? Yeah, it absolutely was. It was just seamless. It was quiet. It was peaceful. I was really left alone in the space and it was really, it felt really, really sacred. I listened to my body, which was amazing. Like once you can just kind of go into yourself and be internal, which is exactly where you should be in childbirth. Um, It was a really beautiful process. It was definitely hard at times, but I got to like seven, eight centimeters really, really easily, very, very seamlessly. So, yeah, it was beautiful. He shot out like a little bullet um, and, you know, <laughs> no one caught him because he shot out so fast and he's been fast ever since. That really should have just been an indication of <laughs> that was the, the sort of stress he would be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We haven't caught him since. He's crazy. Um, but, no, it was a great birth and it was a beautiful breastfeeding journey. I fed for three months, so same as Violet, but it was really enjoyable. And I think knowing second time round, you don't take that early days for granted. You know, the first time I was like, please make it end, make it go away. I just got to get through this six weeks. I just got to get through the next six weeks. Whereas this time was like, I know it's only going to last six weeks, mm-hmm. you know, out of their whole life. It's like such mm-hmm. a short period of time. So just really being present instead of being on my phone, like Netflix and yeah. chill, just for hours and hours and hours. I was like, I'm really going to connect with him. I'm really going to enjoy it. I know it's not going to be forever. And that was really, really beautiful. So, yeah, unfortunately, my milk did dry up at three months, but I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to bottle feed him because he's completely fine and he's very happy and we can connect with me looking at him in the eyes and holding his little fingers while he gives himself the bottle, um, which he's always done. He's very independent. So... Yeah, breastfeeding um, is a beautiful yeah. thing, but it is absolutely not the only way to connect with the baby. So I think that's a really 100%. nice message for anyone listening. Yeah, a hundred percent. You got to keep your mental health in mind. You got to look at the big picture. Something that's becoming, I guess, more of a topic in the postpartum space is planning for your postpartum and looking mm. after yourself, particularly in that fourth trimester. <laughs> One thing that I think we haven't quite linked yet is what that then does for someone's return to work journey. If someone's postnatally depleted as hell and they've had birth trauma and they've had trouble breastfeeding and then they're going back to work, it's it's not going to set them up for a really pleasant time. They may enjoy the, yeah, I guess the relief of getting back to work, but it's you're going back not replenished. You're going back no. the total opposite. How do you think we should be looking at that link between postpartum and the return to work yeah I think it's it's such a big area that is really neglected um and I don't know if I'm ever going to be replenished again I'm not exactly replenished <laughs> I'm definitely not replenished I'm running on coffee and toddler vibes uh toddler energy um which is like electricity in itself but um yeah, I think there's a lot we can do. So I think second time around, I definitely, instead of 
maybe depending on what sort of birth you want to have and depending on where you want to spend your money if you do have a pool of money I guess how I would have done it instead of booking a private obstetrician maybe you put that same amount of money aside for your postpartum so that could mean massages it could be care it could be a cleaner it could be a postpartum doula it could be a food service a delivery service it could be a dog walker so obviously there's ways that you can do it, you know, friends and family as well that are coming to help out to relieve you, but you need to find ways that you are going to feel less depleted. Supplements, a naturopath, a pelvic floor specialist. There's so many areas that I would love to think that women have more help with and assistance financially and otherwise, but there are lots of services. You just have to look for them. And I guess it's really creating that village and then having, you know, mother's group, I think is so important. It's not for everyone, but I always say, just go, you might connect with one person and that could be the world of difference between you feeling isolated or feeling like you have someone that's close by to you as well. So yeah, our mother's group, actually, we're about to start something with a couple of us, which is looking after each other's kids. So we can actually have date nights with our husbands. Because oh, great I idea. can't afford to pay $35 an hour for three hours on top of a dinner. So mm. if we just do two and a half or three hour blocks and looking after each other's children at night when we'd usually be sitting scrolling on our phone or whatever, then, yeah, no one has to pay and you can enjoy it and know that your kids are being well looked after as well. They're probably in bed, so, you know, it's easy. That's such a great tip. And so what was that return to work like the second time? You're obviously a mother of two now, which in one breath might mean you feel a bit more confident and armed with all of that knowledge that you picked up the first time. Mm. But you're still a mother of two all of a sudden, which is something that I'm going to be entering in the near future. It's more of a juggling act. You have two children. It is and it's not, I guess, because with baby number two, um, I think baby number two is a lot easier. Well, it was for me anyway, but I think you're more confident. You know what's going on. A newborn, when you compare it to a toddler, and I know the teenage mums are going to come at me with this one. I know teenagers <laughs> are harder. I know it's a whole different thing. I'm not ready to explore that yet. I can barely deal with a three-and-a-half-year-old. So hats off to you. Um, but, yeah, a toddler is just so much harder than oh, a newborn and I newborn can already attest to that just as, just as a mother around. of one I look back at him as those newborn <sighs> days and I'm like oh yeah and they're flexible they're easier. you know they're easier you kind of just I, I hate to say it, but you kind of just forget that they're there because they'll just sleep wherever you're not on a tight sleep schedule it's kind of like you're gonna have to sleep wherever we are wherever we are wherever the toddler is that's where you're gonna have to sleep maybe at the park maybe on the boob maybe in front of the tv maybe in the cot wherever you know so they're very um nimble and they're very flexible and I think you'll relax into the role of being a mum a lot more and you'll find joy in different things definitely challenges in different areas um and work will become like a mini holiday oh yeah it's really I can sad imagine. but it's true <laughs> it's true and for me like I need that work I need some time away from the kids um, and I enjoy it and I feel like I'm a better, more present mum when I get home. Instead of my husband walking through the door, I'm like, take the kids, take yeah. them, you know. It's like you embrace them, you know. Mm. Do you want to do colouring in? Yeah, I'll do some colouring in. We'll do bath time, we'll do bedtime, we'll enjoy the story. And don't get me wrong, it's an absolute shit show and dinner time. But you've got to kind of like 
lean into the chaos and surrender a bit. And I think you'll learn that with the more kids that you have. I think yeah. something that always scared me before having kids, because I was one of those people that thought about how on earth will I make it all work, like when I was 20. And that was 10 oh years God. before I had a child. <laughs> like it was just always on my mind, like how on earth yeah. does everyone do it? And you'd see people do it, but I would still be like, how on earth are they doing it? But I think one really nice thing that I've noticed is even if I've had a busy work day and I freelance, mm. so my life is a bit more up and down than yours. Sometimes I'm really available and sometimes I'm less available. But that quality one to two hours that you get with them in a day that you are at work actually yeah. is a lot. And I think that's a really nice reminder for parents. Do you find that? Yeah, absolutely. Because you can be truly present and it's amazing how much that means to them versus eight hours of trying to like push them aside because you're trying to get everything else done and you do you feel you spend a lot of time feeling guilty because you're looking around going either the house is not getting cleaned or the food's not getting done or the dishes aren't getting done or the dogs aren't getting walked and you feel like you're doing nothing properly so it's kind of like when I break up the day it's like in the mornings it's a school drop-off I've just got to concentrate on that once that's done I wipe my hands and I get into the office. And when I'm in the office, I don't really think about the kids. I get a call every single day about Phoenix bumping his head and falling off something and there being <laughs> blood or a bruise. But You're like, yeah, he did that when he apart, gave birth too, uh, don't worry. Like, li like literally. <laughs> um, but apart from that, I'm just used to it now. They just even text me and they're like, Phoenix bumped his head. I'm like, yeah, cool. We'll sign the thing when we pick him up. Is he bleeding? No, he's okay. Is he vomiting? No, he's okay. All right, great. So, <laughs> yeah, you kind of get used to it. But. Yeah, I think I kind of like break up the day and then just try to be present. And I think having that break between the two worlds is good. And also, even though it's a bit of a bitch because I have to do 50 minutes drive there, 50 minutes drive back, it does give me the time to unwind. So I'll call yeah. a friend, I'll call my family, I'll listen to a podcast, I'll play some music. And it's kind of like, gives me time to decompress before I get into the, the next shift, I guess. I yeah, could have never known because I'm like mm. you, I don't live in the CBD. I'm about an hour away as well. I could yeah. never have known, even though obviously I would rather not travel an hour each way every single day, yeah. but I couldn't have known how beautiful being in the car on my own could possibly feel. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. These days being in the car by yourself, going food shopping by yourself oh, is it's a luxury. Like, it's a close to a holiday as I'm going to get. Yeah. yeah. So just got to enjoy it. And so we've sort of touched on them, but what have been your best and most challenging bits in making work work as a parent? I think the best bits, I guess, is kind of like rediscovering I'm still me, just with a different part of me that's grown um, and I'm still got so far to go. Um, but yeah, just discovering I haven't lost myself because I guess those early days, it really I did not recognize myself. I didn't recognize my life. And yeah, I guess coming back kind of into myself has been really amazing. Finding my independence, whether that be in terms of like somewhat time or financially, you know, just taking the pressure off. Everyone's feeling that at the moment. So just having that has been really, really important. Then I guess the most challenging parts is the, the lack of flexibility in terms of working from home is a challenge. Yeah, that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And so you're obviously with your freelance work with hypnobirthing, yeah. you're obviously very passionate about helping others avoid the birth trauma that you experienced the first time. What mm. do you think are the best ways that people can prepare for birth? And especially say the more Western style, busy mother or birthing person that perhaps is really on the treadmill of career, 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 and then all of a sudden they just go on that leave and they're having the baby the next day. What t- yeah. what tips would you give to that busy career person in your life? I think, oh, God, I think I, I often wonder whether there's a direct correlation between type A personalities and birth trauma because they're the ones that I tend to meet. And I think it's really like that lack of control and lack of information that really comes into it. So I think giving yourself space, um, honouring yourself and looking at your pregnancy and birth almost like a project as if you would look at it like you're at work. Do you That's know what a I mean? great tip for a type A as well. <laughs> yes, I know, exactly. So it's like carving out the time to, you know, whether it's to do yoga or to book in massages. For me, I have to book Pilates. I can't have it loosely where I may or may turn up. If it's not in my um, in my diary, like an appointment, I'm not going. So it's like booking in. So whether that be a birth class or, you know, it's time that you want to do some study yourself, it's really important. Um, but yeah, whether it be, you know, there's all different sorts of birth classes. You have to find what's right for you, but I think anything that's going to give you tools and empower you is really, really important. Um, my classes are really small and I really get to know my families really, really well. Um, and I love to be part of that journey. It's such an honor. It's really special. Like every time there's a baby born, I'll just be bawling my eyes out at home. <laughs> just because I'm like, oh my God, there's a baby. It's just so special. And I love to hear about birth stories. And, you know, obviously you can, you can only do so much. There's nothing that can completely prepare you for childbirth. It is truly transformative. But, you know, there's so many variables, but I think if you're educated, if you're empowered, if you've got a really supportive birth partner and they've got a list of things that they can do and you've got a list of tools that you can pull upon um, throughout your labour, it's really important because people say, you know, it's only one day, you're only going to get through one day, but when that one day impacts the next 6, 12, 18 there's even women years down the track that are still impacted by birth trauma and can't speak about their pregnancy. It's like whilst it is one day, it has a colossal effect mm. on your family, on your mental health and on your ability to function. Work is part of that. So I think it's really honouring it and honouring the importance of matrescence um, and the importance of postpartum as well is is really important. Yeah. Chrissy, if people want to find your hypnobirthing work online, where should they go? It's golden.bump on Instagram. Don't go to Golden Bump because there's a golden retriever that completely stole my handle. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very something that would easily get you sidetracked too. (laughs) I know it does. Um, Very cute golden retriever. But no, um, golden.bump on Instagram. Um, Christina Mackay, if anyone is also searching. And um, yeah, slide into the DMs. I'd love to have a conversation. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Oh, my pleasure. It's been so good. Thank you, Lucy. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. 
You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.